Saddle here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville Alabama today the Republican Party has veterans in their crosshairs during this debt limit debacle we talk about uh, some freaks who don't reckon janitors deserve $30,000 a year we also take a look at Amazon in Bessemer getting hit with a labor board complaint and more on today's Valley Labor Report. If you want to be part of the program, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week and we might play it on the next program. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. All you have to do is search for The Valley Labor Report. Um, In particular, you're going to want to bookmark our homepage on our website, tvlr.fm. That's where we put out new stuff on the daily, including new original reporting, uh, and including last week that reporting about uh, the labor board complaints against Bessemer. I am fairly certain that we're the only people in Alabama who have reported on that. I don't think... I've looked for it, and I don't think anybody else has mentioned it. Uh, So, you know... You want labor news about Alabama workers, we're the place to go, tvlr.fm. Of course, we are also on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, all at the Valley Labor Report. Uh, Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining donor to the program, make a one-time donation, or buy our merch, you can go to our website, tvlr.fm slash donate. Our store, tvlr.fm slash store, and you can also become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Also, if you're a member of a union, definitely please think about getting your local to sponsor the show. We are coming up on the expenditure of the excess funds that we have raised uh, for our expansion. So we are uh, we're looking for new sponsors. We're looking for new advertisers, uh, looking for new partnerships with other unions and uh, to be able to continue with the expansion and in particular the original reporting, uh, which we think is uh, an asset to 
um, to Alabama uh, to have people that are, you know, uh, trying to monitor issues related to workers. So, um, so you know, if you think that that's valuable and you think that it, it's it's worthwhile to have uh, the project continue to be expanded, then definitely think about getting your local to sponsor the show. Uh, you can reach out to me for more details on that. And we are always happy to take any calls with people on the executive board on your union, speak to your general membership or conferences uh, from, uh, you know, your regional or national conferences, anything like that. Always happy to... Um, to answer any questions in front of any audience. Absolutely. We really appreciate the folks who are sponsors right now and certainly would, would love to see more sponsors. So it's not just unions, but if you have a union-friendly business, like a union print shop, a union vendor, uh, if you have a media company, if you have a you know, political group or an advocacy group, nonprofit, anybody who might want to reach an audience of union allies and activists here in the South, definitely let us know. And let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check it out. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and get into this debt limit stuff. Um, you know, this is kind of the thing that's in the news. And the the way that you hear uh, conservatives and Republicans talk about this stuff, um, it, it really, I mean, it, it just obscures what is actually going on and what is the the material consequences of either a default or enacting the spending cuts that the Republican Party is trying to push in Congress right now. Um, and, and it's all, it's never explicit, right? It's always cut the fluff, cut the fluff, cut the fluff. Government has so much waste. It's so much, there's so much going on that we don't need to do, um, and so all we have to do is cut the fluff and we can save trillions of dollars. That's all it's going to take. Cut the fluff. It doesn't, you know, there's nothing material that's going to affect anybody. It's actually, in fact, going to make your life better somehow. Cutting government spending. Uh, of course, that does not apply to the military because while they are proposing other uh, cuts to basically every single government agency, they are proposing expansions on the uh uh on the budget for the military but of course uh there's no fluff in the military right the pentagon passes all its audits um and and everything there's no contractors that are overcharging the defense department it's all super uh clean and lean over there in the department of defense um and it's all about your safety. All about your safety. Absolutely. All of it. Every yeah. bit of it. It's about protecting your safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we don't want to do that. We don't want to be abstract. We want to be, uh, we want to level with you and give you the facts about actually what's going to happen. Um, because Republicans have been making cuts um, to what they see as fluff. Now, they're not going out there and, and telling the media and telling their voters uh, exactly what these cuts are and what they're going to mean. They're just saying cuts, and they think that sounds good. Um, 
but uh, uh, but there are actually specific proposals out there. And um, here is Sam Cedar on the Majority Report listing off some of the impacts of some of the poten potential and proposed cuts. Let's play this clip, Adam. If you cut discretionary spending to the level of fiscal year 2022, cap the rate of increase at 1% per year for an indeterminate period, maybe two years. This is what's being floated. This is what it would do. I mean, aside from politically saying, hey, if you can hold these hostages, we've just given another year where we allowed this, you know, we didn't go with the 14th Amendment. We didn't go with the platinum coin, which is basically saying, like, this is ripe for the pickings every time. Again, we don't know all the details, but as Ryan Cooper writes, returning to fiscal year 2022 budget levels would mean an immediate cut of 13% to every government agency and program. If defense and border cops are exempted from that cross-the-board cut, then the cut will be closer to 22%. Representative Rosa DeLauro, Connecticut, um, on the House Appropriations Committee, solicited estimates from various government departments on what a 22% cut would mean. 60,000 people would not be able to attend college. 200,000 children would get kicked off Head Start. 100,000 families would lose childcare. 1.2 million would be removed from WIC nutrition assistance. 125 air traffic control towers would be shut down. Rail safety inspections would be cut back by 11,000 work days. 30,000 miles of track going uninspected. 640,000 families would lose rental assistance. 430,000 more would be evicted from Section 8 housing. That's just a sampling. So these are I mean, these are real things, right? This isn't just we're not talking about just cutting the fluff and actually, in fact, making everybody's lives better because of the cutting of the fluff. These are going to materially impact people's lives and make them worse, make them worse. There's no argument about that. That comes from what Sam was talking about. There was uh, it comes from an article in the American Prospect written by Ryan Cooper, um, where he lists off just some of, like Sam said, the estimates from government departments that were sent to Representative Rosa DeLauro, um, who's a ranking member on the House Appropriations Committee, about just what a 22% cut would mean. And so this comes directly from their proposals, right? Capping spending at the fiscal year 2022 levels. Ryan Cooper does note in his article that Republicans have not uh, suggested exactly in a pro in across the board cut, but it's certainly possible that some of the above priorities would be spared. But if any of the above priorities that were just mentioned right by Sam, if any of those are spared, then what is that going to mean? That means that cuts to programs that are not spared are only going to be worse if we're going to try right. to cap spending at fiscal year 2022. Right. I mean, this is just, it's really, really insane. And they have put some uh, uh, some explicit stuff in the Limit, Save, Grow Act, which passed the House of Representatives. Bernie Sanders, in an email, mentioned that they are pushing for a complete repeal 
of the estate tax, a $3.5 trillion extension of Trump's tax rates, and a massive increase in the Pentagon budget. At the same time, that they are, quote-unquote, deeply concerned about the national debt. A couple other things that weren't mentioned earlier is that this would also, these cuts would also mean deep and sweeping budget cuts that would push 790,000 Americans out of their jobs and push the economy towards a, uh, towards a recession. Up to 21 million Americans could lose Medicaid. This is not just abstract stuff that we're talking about. We're talking about real people's lives being materially impacted for the worse, uh, and unnecessarily so, and while the Republicans are trying to heap more benefits on the people at the very top. It's just really, really, really gross. And so, you know, folks need to know that. Folks need to know that. It, it, it's important that you actually understand what's going on in D.C. Uh, because some people will try to obscure it for you. And, and they don't want you to know all this stuff. We're going to take a short break, though. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into uh, one of these specific budget cuts and how it would affect a particular population in the United States. That being veterans. Republicans are supposed to love veterans, right? And so we're going to take a look at how uh, these budget cuts are going to affect veterans. So we're going to be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. IBW 558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. 
Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning. You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets, holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. Keller, uh, Adam, let's open up the phone lines so that we can uh, get people in if they have any comments. Sure thing. I was mistaken about when our uh, when our guests. Steve Early and Suzanne Gordon are going to be coming on to talk about veterans issues. Um, they're going to be coming on at 10:15, so we're going to be talking about some other stuff. If you want to call in or send us a text message, the phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Appreciate the conversations in the chat and everybody joining us. We've got infinite content. Alex, uh, Vex, Vex, pick. Pittsburgh dude really appreciate everybody tuning in and watching and uh engaging engaging in the content um so let's uh 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 we're gonna play this clip and I think probably a lot of y'all have heard it Adam have you heard this Tupperville clip so I'm a little familiar with what you're talking about I heard a little bit of it uh but I'm not sure I've heard the okay. full clip yeah. that we have. Yeah. Uh, so I am looking forward to this. All right. Yeah. Well, so let's let's just uh, let's just jump in and play this clip from Tuberville on the Donald Trump Jr. podcast 
about uh, what he thinks about a um, uh, teachers, but uh, but a specific kind of teacher. Wonder if uh, we can kind of parse what he's trying to say there. <laughs> the COVID really brought it out about how bad our schools are yeah. and how bad our teachers are in the inner city. Most of them in the inner city. Uh, I don't know how they got degrees, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know whether they can read and write. But they're the uh, experts that want to make sure that parents exactly. have no say. They, yeah. uh, how, what, how do you, and how they want you raise. decide what to do with your children? They want to raise. They want less time to work, yeah. less time in school. It's just we've, we've ruined work ethic in this country. Yeah. We've, we yeah, we've ruined work ethic in this country, says the absolute freak who... Uh, remember, just remember, when there was uh, talk about a stock trade ban, which I think was actually under the Republicans, I think Republicans in the House were proposing this, he was saying how uh, if he wasn't allowed to trade stocks in D.C., and what is trading stocks? Trading stocks and making money off of stocks is literally just making money off of money. Teachers, linemen, uh, other workers, even clickety-clack workers, right? Even workers like me who clickety-clack all day on the computer, we actually do something physically. We sell our time and we get and we create value and we get money for that. People like him who make money off of money just sit there. They just sit there while their money makes them money. They're not sweating, they're not working, they're not spending any time doing any of this. They are just wealthy, and by virtue of the wealth that they have, they get more of it. And this absolute freak has the gall to question the work ethic of teachers, and then inner city teachers at that, who no doubt, because of the rampant underfunding of our inner cities and because of the poverty in our inner cities have some of the hardest jobs of any teacher in the country, not because inner city students, and we, and we know what they're talking about there, right? Black, they're talking about black students. It's not because black students are incapable of learning or that they are inferior, it is because poverty is correlated with educational outcomes. In fact, there is no single greater predictor of educational outcomes than the wealth of the zip code in which you reside. The single greatest predictor of educational outcomes is the median wealth of the zip code that you live in. Right. And so because so even if we have superstar teachers, teachers who are not only can read and write as obviously every single inner city teacher can. But superstar teachers who got fancy degrees from Harvard and, uh, you know, know everything and, and are, are the up to date on the latest pedagogy in classroom learning, uh, even <laughs> that's not correlated with success as much as wealth and you cannot erase all of that erase all of the environment that they are growing up in in the classroom you just simply can't do that and so yes there are things that we can do to make schools better including in fact the thing that he is derisive of which is making sure that the people who are educating our students are taken care of 
can feed their families. And not only can feed their families, but here's here's an idea. Hold on to your seat, Adam. Make sure that everybody's sitting down. Maybe they've got enough money to go on a vacation sometimes. Ooh. Maybe they have some disposable income. Maybe they can go to a fancy restaurant every now and then. Are you saying maybe, just maybe, they could afford to live in the cities in which they teach? Uh, now, you know, look, I know this is some wild stuff that I'm proposing, but I think it's reasonable. And, you know, these these people like to talk about the market, the market, the market. And what does the market say? The market says that the more, the higher value the thing is, the more it costs to attain right and so obviously then there is going to be some correlation with the degree to which teachers are compensated and their ability to perform their jobs it's not going to be the end-all be-all obviously and then not to mention that it's just the right thing to do if we're going to be a government and we're going to have jobs for people we're going to put jobs out there and we're going to say we need this done then the people who do the thing that we need done ought to be compensated for it. Obviously. Obviously. Right. Absolutely. You want the best and brightest doing this kind of work because educating children is hard work. It's complicated work. It's very important work. And so you want the best and brightest folks available. Uh, and you've got to pay for that, right? Yeah. Because people have options. Uh, teachers are required to go through at the very, very minimum a four-year degree with an internship, okay? Mm -hmm. So in many areas of the country, not Alabama, where, you know, Senator Tuberville represents, but in many other areas of the country, to be a fully certified teacher, you actually have to get a master's degree. You have to go beyond just a bachelor's. Uh, so these are very, you know, highly trained people, very highly educated people. And with that degree of education and training, you can command higher salaries in the private market. Uh, you can go do other jobs beyond teaching and typically make a higher salary, right? There's there's mm -hmm. a uh, a lot of research indicating this. And so, yeah, it's very insulting. Uh, it's very racial, his comments. Like you said, we know who and what he's talking about Obviously. when he says inner city. Obviously. Um, and I, I, I actually was an inner city teacher. Uh, my last year in the classroom was at a school that, you know, would be called inner city, quote unquote. Um, and so I got to say, those were some of the most hardworking, brilliant people I've ever worked with. Mm. And it is very, very insulting. Um, he has no idea the kind of challenges that are in schools like that. No right. idea. And he would not last a day as a substitute. Oh. Nor would I wish that on the students, though. Right. Uh, because I think it's harmful when students have adults that are supposed to supervise them and, and be role models who are bigots. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's no question that Tuberville is a bigot. And so um, I find it insulting. I think it's an insult to educators. It's an insult to black folks. It's an insult to folks who do live in the inner city. Um, it's really uh, it's insulting to working people right. overall. Um it's it's an attitude that is demeaning and looks down on people who actually have to work for a living. Uh, and I really, really resent it. And yes. uh, do not appreciate one bit that this is uh, the person who is supposed to represent my state. 
And, you know, there was a reporter who uh, works on inner cities uh, or who works on education. And uh, she said, um, Trisha uh, Crane, she said, I-, I wonder if Senator Tuberville would be willing to spend a week as a substitute teacher and let me shadow him and write about it. Oh, um, I would love that. And, <laughs> and I, I got to say, I like I have my disagreements with Trisha Crane sometimes mm-hmm. uh, when we get into the weeds of education policy. But I think that's a brilliant idea. And I support that 100 percent. Right. Please. Yeah. Senator Tuberville, take some time to be a substitute. Uh, you can even do a few different schools that week. Start off at the middle school. Start strong. Let's go to eighth grade. Yeah. Let's put you in eighth grade for mm-hmm. a couple of days. And if you're still around, then we can move you around to the high school level and maybe the elementary level and just see how you do. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, what a I mean, just what a freak. Seriously. What an absolute freak. Um, we've got a caller on the line. Uh, let's get them on the air. All right. Let's hope I can... Uh, Help make that happen. <laughs> yeah. We have a caller from a 267 area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Let's see. Are you there with us, caller? Do we have the... Um, is it muted? The tab? Uh, it was not. So, no, I'm not sure exactly mm. what's going on there. Uh, I will work on this. So, caller, if you don't mind, just give us a call back here in just a couple minutes. Let me make sure everything is set up the way it's supposed to be set up. Uh, I do apologize for that. Bonkers. All right. Um, so, while we're waiting on that, I have a, a quick story about Amazon and Bessemer. Uh, Amazon was hit with, I believe it was five labor board complaints yesterday, right. uh, last week, and Adam wrote about it on our website, tvlr.fm. Like I said, I believe we are the only people in Alabama who have uh, written about that, and uh, it's really important stuff, even though it is, it is coming, I mean, it's late. This is over a year after the latest election, um, and so it's very unfortunate that this couldn't have come earlier. Uh, but this is one of the um, this is one of the consequences of underfunding our government agencies, right? I mean, this is because uh, the uh, NLRB has been flat funded since 2014, other than last year, and even last year they didn't get a raise. Uh, that they didn't get an increase in funding even enough to match inflation, right? And so there's obviously still some major funding issues at the NLRB, and that affects their ability to quickly resolve cases. But last week they did issue a complaint against uh, Amazon, and here's what the NLRB said about those complaints. The complaints alleged that the employer promulgated and selectively enforced an unlawful off-duty access rule that banned employees from the employer's facilities when not on shift. Among other remedies, the complaints seek recession of the unlawful rule, mandatory training, and union access. The complaints also contain additional allegations specific to each location. The complaints involved the Bessemer Warehouse and the JFK 8 facility that was recently unionized by the Amazon Labor Union, as well as facilities in uh, in Joliet, Illinois, uh, Covington, Pennsylvania, Swedesboro, New Jersey, and Kenosha, Wisconsin. 
And so here's what happened specific to Bessemer. The Region 10 uh, Atlanta, Region 10 of the NLRB, issued a consolidated complaint covering 10 charges related to Amazon's BH1, BHM1 facility before and after a rerun election at the facility. The complaint alleges that prior to the quote-unquote off-duty access rule, the employer promulgated and maintained a rule prohibiting access more than 30 minutes before or after a shift. It further alleged removal and prohibition of pro-union materials, captive audience meetings, interrogation and polling, surveillance, threats of loss of pay and benefits, and threats of closure. An administrative law judge is scheduled to hear the case on September 25th. So that's going to be the next step in this where there, uh, a judge is going to take a look at the complaint by the NLRB. Right. This is obviously, you know, union elections are supposed to take place in, quote, laboratory conditions. I believe that that is the uh, that's the name of the law. Uh, uh, that's the, the wording that's used in the law. And when you are either creating new rules which they're alleging that this off-duty access rule isn't was a new rule, or selectively enforcing old rules that you did not previously enforce during a union election, that is not laboratory conditions, right? That is the employer trying to change the terrain of the election to make it more favorable to the boss. Right. right. Which, is, which is an issue, and, I mean, is... Election interference is thwarting of democracy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, and Amazon has a reputation of doing this, obviously. Uh, you know, their union busting activities have been pretty well publicized at this point. Uh, according to the NLRB, they actually have more than 180 open or settled unfair mm. labor practice charges against them uh, or cases against them across 22 states. Uh, so that's, you know, significant. I think worth noting that this is not uh, something that's, you know, unheard of with Amazon mm -hmm. by any means. Uh, this appears to be their deliberate strategy and practice. Uh, and so that's worth noting. And a couple of other things there. Uh, the NLRB did put it out there that a complaint is not the same as a board decision. Right. Right. So the, it's the first step in the regional office litigating the allegations after investigating the charges and finding merit to them. Right. So they have found merit to these charges and allegations. Uh, now comes the hearings, uh, as you mentioned, the upcoming hearing with the administrative law judge who can order make whole remedies. And that decision can then be appealed to the board and then to the federal appeals court. Mm -hmm. So it is quite the process. Um quite the process and yep. you know our our workers down there in Bessemer have been fighting for a union for years now so you know it's it's been quite quite the journey yeah uh and just a reminder the March 2022 election results were that uh, 993 voted against joining the union and 875 uh voted for the union. So it was all in all a pretty close election. Uh, but additionally, there are more than 400 contested ballots that could swing the balance, uh, actually, if they are opened. And so, uh, the, so the way that that process works is that when the ballots are being pulled, you know, you look at the name before you look at whether or not they vote, uh, how they voted. Uh, 
and you say, is this person eligible to vote or not? Uh, and if they are, then that envelope is open and their secret ballot envelope is placed in another place so that it becomes separated from the name. And then you count the ballot separately so you don't know how they voted. But um, so as they were pulling out the names and take and, and seeing who is eligible and who is not or trying to agree on that, uh, they uh, uh, and it, uh, my understanding, if I recall correctly, is that most of the con uh, contestations did come from the company, the company saying that this person isn't eligible for whatever reason. Maybe they're actually a member of management. Maybe they are um, uh, uh, maybe they're no longer employed at the uh, at the Bessemer facility. Maybe they were employed too late because you had to have been working uh, at a certain point to be able to vote in the election. So there are all sorts of reasons that a person might have accidentally voted. Uh, thinking that they were eligible, uh, but they were not, and so they set aside these 400 ballots, and there is, a, you know, an investigation into whether or not they are eligible. And so, at some point, presumably, some of these are going to be counted, and uh, it's possible, kind of unlikely, that it could swing the balance, but it's possible. So, um, you know, so so that's the latest on that. Really bad stuff. Bad stuff. Not good. Yeah, and it's just it's going to be important to see how it plays out because it's really, um, you know, corporate America has fought back very hard against mm -hmm. this wave of unionization that has taken place, you know, particularly in the aftermath of the pandemic. Uh, and this was one of the ones that really kicked off things, I think. Yeah. Uh, this campaign in Bessemer uh, really was kind of a, a kicking off point for a lot of the labor movement in this country. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out with these complaints and, and just to what degree corporate union busting will be allowed and sanctioned by the United States government. Right. Yeah. Uh, Adam, I believe that we have another caller on the line. So or we've got the the, uh, the caller called back in. And so did were we able to get that resolved, that issue? I do believe so. So, right. uh, yeah, this let's give it a shot and and see what happens here. Two six seven area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey there, caller. Are you there? Hmm. Well, I'm we're still not hearing him. Well. Let's go on to uh, uh, another one, then another another topic. Yeah, sorry about that, y'all. I don't know what is happening with our call-in studio this morning. Uh, I just closed it out. I'll I'll get it set back up. Maybe we just uh, had some some wires crossed somewhere. Yeah. I don't uh, know. Sorry about that, y'all. Uh, do apologize, caller. Uh, if you want to just leave us a voicemail or send us a text for now, uh, maybe that will be best uh again apologize for that yep. you know the joys of live radio mm -hmm. and trying to right. have a remote call-in studio at the same time you know doesn't so, always work well yeah well adam i want to uh uh i want to stay in alabama for a little bit until we because sure. we haven't got our we haven't got our guests in the zoom right now. no right? no not right yet now. So and i am looking for forward to that conversation gonna, uh we've yeah. got steve early and suzanne gordon coming on to talk about veterans issues and uh yeah really looking forward to that 
Great. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Um, quote unquote, school choice light is how it was termed by some right wing media folks. And it is an expansion of the Alabama Accountability Act. Is that that that's what it's called? Right. Right. Yeah. So, Adam, explain to us the what is the Alabama Accountability Act? Can you just give us a sure. rundown really quickly on that? Yeah, it's it's a couple things really. It's uh the it's a failing schools list. It is a scholarship program, and it is a tax write off. Uh, so, uh, it is used to list schools, and the lowest performing schools are considered failing. This will change now under this revised version of the law, and they'll no longer be called failing schools. They'll be called priority schools. It's still the lowest performing ones, um, and in this case, it'll be any schools defined. The, the, the schools will be defined uh, by their state report card results. So that's relevant because it impacts uh, the private school scholarship eligibility. The Accountability Act, the biggest piece of it is a voucher program, more or less. Mm-hmm. It is a private school scholarship program, and through that, it is also a you know tax write-off for wealthy donors. So if you are a wealthy benefactor, you can donate to a SGO, a scholarship-granting organization, uh, and get this written off your taxes. The SGO, the scholarship-granting organization, in turn, gives a scholarship to a student to attend a private school. Um, and this comes from the Education Trust Fund budget all of this money. Uh, and so they're, they're loosening up uh, the Accountability Act, uh, some of the requirements. They're expanding it basically to, to cover more people and to have more money devoted to this. So uh, a couple of other changes in the law. Uh, previously, you had to, to qualify for the scholarship. Your household income for a family of four had to be below $55,500. Uh, the new language increases that amount to seventy-five thousand, uh, and uh, there's also going to be an expansion of about twenty million dollars more uh, devoted to this program. And uh, the bill would also raise the maximum scholarship to ten thousand dollars per student. Uh, so it's you know, it is it's another means to funnel private uh, or public tax dollars into private pockets, basically. Uh, some wealthy folks have, have benefited off running the SGOs and using these as tax write-offs. Uh, and then you've got private schools who are being subsidized, basically, with public school dollars uh, through this program. And it's, uh, you know, it's not a significant number of people we're talking about. Uh, they expect the enrollment to go up by, you know, a couple hundred folks. So not a you know not a significant cost in the grand scheme of things, uh, but it's just sort of been one of the ways in which Alabama Republicans have whittled away at education. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was Dale Marsh's like prized bill. Uh, he fought very hard to get this done uh, under sketchy circumstances, and so uh, you know it's been going on for years. It has drained tens of millions of dollars from the education trust fund at this point i would imagine it's well into the hundred uh millions of dollars and there's really no evidence that it does anything uh, of value uh frankly 
uh, obviously the private schools like it because it it subsidizes their tuition and they can mm. reach out to, you know, where anecdotally where I've heard a lot about this is in recruiting athletes, mm. uh, private schools who would like to have really talented basketball players or football players uh, can, you know, use the state subsidy to get those kids in the doors. Uh, so that's something, you know, that I have heard about, you know, can't tell you how much, you know, uh, how widespread that is, but, you know, at the end of the day, about 25,900 scholarships have been awarded under this program, paying about $147.4 million in tuition, mostly to private and religious schools. Hmm. So, you know, that's nearly $150 million that could have gone to expanding pre-K or, you know, any other good and just cause within public education, but instead right. was subsidizing private schools. Yeah, not to foreshadow too much uh, for another segment later in the program, but I had thought that over the last 10 years, um, the Republicans down in Montgomery were just really shoveling money into public schools. That's what some people are saying. Right, yeah, interesting. Uh, it, you know... <laughs> <laughs> there is a surplus in the budget this year, and that does not necessarily mean uh, education spending has been a priority by the House Republicans or the Senate Republicans, though. Uh, and this is, like I said, just one of many uh, components of school uh, privatization and corporate education reform that has taken shape in this state over the past decade or so. Um, they're, they're loosening this. They're pushing vouchers. Uh, charters are expanding in the state. Uh, so you've got attacks from multiple directions really happening here in public schools. Yeah. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, and I believe our guests will be on the line once we get back to talk about veterans and the debt limit crisis. Stay tuned, folks. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. 
it. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256 383 3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law. The name with proven results. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. That's www.uawregion, the number 8, dot N-E-T. A better future is ours. Come on, 
Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here as always with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. I am back from my honeymoon, folks. I went to the beach. It was great. I enjoyed it. I don't think I really got a tan, but I did get a cool dinosaur shirt. That's oh, right. my daughter would love that. Yeah. All about some dinosaurs. Yeah. Look at that. It's also got like uh, windmills in it, wind turbines. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I don't know. Nice. Yeah. Very soft. Very nice. Um, so didn't get a tan, but I did get a cool shirt. Uh, read a lot on the beach. It was very, very cool. I like my ring. It is my wife's grandfather's ring. So okay. that's kind of cool. Yeah. And she wears my grandmother's ring. So Awesome. Kind of a neat thing there. Yeah, keeping keeping the tradition going. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh so yeah, folks. Um if uh uh and so if you want to send a present you can go to tvlr.fm slash donate that's oh yeah absolutely uh, <laughs> in, in lieu you, of flowers did you, did you put that on the registry i should have i should have right. in lieu of flowers please send donations to the valley labor report tvlr.fm slash donate uh but so have we got we've got suzanne and steve in the zoom right i uh, know we've got suzanne uh Perfect. we'll see about steve uh and I wanted to introduce them real quick because uh, they reached out this week. Uh, we've been having some dialogue, and I've been reading their stuff and really impressed. Uh, Suzanne Gordon is Senior Policy Analyst at the Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute and the author of many books, most recently Wounds of War, How the VA Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. Uh, Steve Early is a freelance journalist, labor organizer, lawyer, and the author of most recently Refinery Town, Big Oil, Big Money, and the Remaking of an American City. And his work has been in New York Times, The Washington Post, The Nation, among others. Uh, and they also just had a great article out in Jacobin, Corporate Politicians Are Privatizing the VA, the Crown Jewel of Socialized Medicine. Uh, so definitely want to check that out, folks. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. And this is their new book uh, that we're going to be talking to them about this book later uh, because this debt limit stuff is, is a little bit more timely. But, right, um, yeah. But so. it, it, if, you, if you are interested in a book about veterans' issues and stuff like that, uh, you can take a look at this book, Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs. And uh, some of the work in that book, as I understand, is based on a report by the Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute and the National VA Council of AFGE, my union, the American Federation of Government Employees, right here. So, um, if you want to check those out, highly recommend it. So, uh, Suzanne, welcome to the Valley Labor Report. Appreciate you taking the time Hi. to join us this morning. Thank you. Unfortunately, Steve um, was not feeling well, and mm. so he's. I'm standing in for him. Um, so. I'll be for talking for both of us, but thank you so much for having me and in absentia him on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ha happy to do it. Sorry he's uh, feeling under the weather, but uh, glad you're, I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that, that you'll be able to uh, uh, elucidate these issues greatly for us in his absence. And so first off, let's, you know, we're a union radio show, right? We are, we're both members of unions. We have been for years, Adam, for probably more than a decade now, he's been a member of one union or another. Uh, me, I'm coming up on half a decade in the labor movement. We have both held various offices in our unions. And so, uh, uh, 
your work really kind of centers around veterans and veterans issues. Um, but especially with some of these last few things, they've really been intersecting with labor issues. Uh, and you've been making that point um, explicitly. And so uh, how do you see the re- relevance of veterans affairs to labor? Well, you know, to, to be a veteran, um, you have to have been working working for the U.S. military. Um, and so the issue of labor and how um, work impacts human beings is, is central to veterans. And, and the, the veterans' benefits that we've just um, been talking about, that they've been talking about when, when this whole thing, uh, the, the whole debate about and controversy about the debt ceiling, is occurred is all about vet, the impact of military work um, on human beings who then become veterans when they leave the military because you can't get veterans benefits if you didn't do this work and often if you weren't hurt by this work. So all the benefits like the veterans health care that they've been talking about that the Republicans uh, wanted to cut or would have cut without uh, democratic pushback is is also in related to military work. And then, you know, veterans also, and this is something that, that has been entirely missed in the discussion about the debt ceiling. Veterans don't just work for or, or benefit from one federal agency, the Department of Veterans Affairs. They work in many agencies that would be impacted by a government shutdown or mm-hmm. cutbacks in government services. 100,000 veterans work in the post office. Um, veterans work, veterans get a veteran preference for government hiring. They work in the EPA, they work in Homeland Security, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, our, our and also the other thing that is really disturbing is in this focus on veterans benefits, like from the VA um, and certainly from the Veterans Health Administration, which is um, the health, uh, the um, you know healthcare system that we have set up as taxpayers and funded for the past almost 100 years to serve military veterans. Only about nine million veterans are enrolled in the VA because other veterans are not uh, eligible. So cuts in. Medicare or um, on the state level, Medicaid really impact veterans all over the country. And then veterans don't live in little veteran-only bubbles. They have family members and friends and communities that depend on government services. So I think this whole debate about, you know, the impact on veterans is really narrow. And then, you know, although I am a big advocate for helping veterans and delivering excellent services to veterans, um, cuts in the VA would impact all of us. The VA teaches 70% of American physicians in training. It does research that impacts all of us. It has a mission, a fourth mission to serve uh, in help as a backup to the civilian health sector in uh, medical in national emergencies. So, um, you know, as usual, the framing of these issues is very conveniently narrow. And then, you know, one has to ask, um, veterans signed up to quote unquote sacrifice for their country. They, do they want to see their country, um, you know, the country's economy demolished by right-wing Republicans who, you know, just 
have absolutely no agenda aside from, you know, destruction. So it's a it's a very interesting issue. Yes, absolutely. And that's a very good point about, um, you know, uh, broadening out the issue in multiple ways. You know, uh, for one, like you said, the Veterans Affairs is not the only government agency that has relevance to veterans uh, because they're employed all throughout the government at a very high rate. And so cuts to any um, any federal agency is going to actually disproportionately affect veterans. Uh, and, and then also, you know, veterans are part of other people's families. And if something hurts them, it's going to hurt the rest of their family and their friends and their community all, all, and all this stuff. And that, that's that's all very important to understand. But narrowing it down again to the, the veterans affairs, you mentioned in the article in Jacobin that the Limit Save Grow Act has a proposed cut to the Department of Veterans Affairs of. 22%. Yeah, right. It's right. It would be 22%. And they're already, the Republicans have already constructed a series of legislation that unfortunately many corporate Democrats have, corporate funded Democrats have signed on to called the VA Mission Act that outsources veterans care to the private sector. And um, so we already the the budget that we have allocated to the to the VA uh, healthcare has already been depleted by almost fifty percent because now much of it goes to private sector providers, not the VA. So if you have depleted the budget by fifty percent and then you add on to that a twenty two percent cut, you can't just look at you know you can't just look at the twenty two percent. It has to be look considered on top of the over thirty five percent that is now going out of the VA to private sector providers to take care of veterans. And these providers um, don't know anything about military cultural competency about veterans complex health conditions. So this act, I mean, you know, the Republicans were constantly saying, oh, no, no, these cuts aren't going to ha- aren't going to impact veterans. Well, once again, you know, they 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 look narrowly at which veterans and where these veterans live and work and 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 so and what services they depend on. But they also conveniently excise from their calculations the damage they've already done. But, you know, the reality is that the these people are wrecking balls they have no positive agenda um i mean we see this in va healthcare where they have initiated a series of outsourcing um outsourcing legislation over the past um over the past since 2014 and the studies show that when veterans go to private sector providers instead of veterans healthcare administration, um, that they really suffer because these providers don't provide the kind of high quality coordinated care the VA does. So it's a very, you have to really understand the broader picture of what, um, of what is happening in veterans affairs. Right. 
Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and this 22% cut on top of, like you mentioned, all the other cuts, this is going to affect people on both sides of, of the issue in, in Veterans Affairs, right? It's going to mean people are, you know, people go without services, whether that be health care or other things that the Department of Veter- Veterans Affairs administers. I mean, I, I would assume that they administer other benefits than health care, like uh, college, uh, college funding and stuff, right? Well, also, um, you know, many veterans depend on pensions administered mm-hmm. by the veterans of the VA and also compensation for uh, service-related injuries. And so their incomes, I mean, if you are a 100% disabled veteran like some of my friends are, um, you are going to be dependent on that check coming from the VA. And if you don't get that check, you're you know, you're going to be really out of luck. And there, there's just, you know, also VA research, you know, there's ongoing VA research. Um, the VA is, is doing research into prostate cancer that veterans suffer from into COVID, into long COVID. And, you know, not only veterans depend on the outcomes of the research uh, and the treatments that they develop. I mean, the VA developed Almost nobody knows that the VA is the second largest after the National Institutes of Health Research powerhouse in the country, and the VA developed the shingles vaccine, um, mm. you know, the first wow. implantable cardiac pacemaker. They're doing research in, in, you know, they publish about 10,000 research studies a year, and all of that would come to a grinding halt. Um, Well, now, Suzanne, I thought that the only place that innovation came from is the private sector. What is this about? Oh, really? You mean it, you mean it doesn't come from the government at all? <laughs> that's what that's oh, what people guess, tell me. That's what people tell me. Look, I, I guess I have to look into that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that's um, such yeah, an important you know, I point. Forgot, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, but, but what you're saying is such an important point that, that you know, um, that they really do a lot of good stuff. And I didn't know that about the, the VA creating the shingles vaccine. I mean, that's that's uh, incredible. Well, it was the first shingles vaccine, the nicotine patch, the first implantable cardiac pacemaker, um, you know, barcoding in hospitals. Uh, you know, just you could just go on and on and on. I mean, if anybody's interested, they can. There's a. We, I would really encourage people to go to the website of the Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute. We have a whole rash of studies that show um, that the VA um, delivers much better care to the pri- to uh, veterans than the private sector does to, to those of us who aren't veterans. And um, very few people know, for example, that the VA pioneered the integration of primary care and mental health care. So most of yeah. us you know, when we go to the doctor and we say we feel we feel depressed, you know, they refer us to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And the VA, you know, they and and then you may or may not, you know, make the appointment. You may or may not go to the appointment. Um, in the VA, if you say you feel depressed or anxious, they walk you down the hall and introduce you mm. to a psychiatric nurse practitioner, or psychologist who's right there on the premises. Right. This has this model really has been documented to be much more effective than the sort of referral model. And um, the same is true, you know, if you have a problem with 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 uh, taking your medications, they take they walk you down to a pharmacist or if you need help with your diet because you're trying to deal with 
you know, diabetes or obesity, they walk you down to a dietitian. None of this happens in the private sector. I mean, right. they have social workers, they have multiple social workers involved in primary care practices. At UCSF, University of San, California, San Francisco, they have 28,000 patients in their primary care practice, and they have one social worker. At, at VA, in a small primary care practice, you know, they'll have like, I don't know, 10, whatever. Uh, it's, it's, you know, that we have been, for the past um, decade, we have been bombarded with negative messages about the VA. And it, it all ties into this debt crisis um, issue because we've been bombarded with negative messages about government from mm -hmm. Koch brothers and dark money, you know, right-wing funded billionaires, organizations that they fund. And they don't want us to believe that government can work. And they, right. you know, bombard us with messages. They defund institutions and agencies like the VA. And then they want to defund the whole government to make sure government doesn't right. work, you know, by just having it not be there at all. And this is a strategy that is killing people, literally, mm. quite literally killing people. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it really is a uh, kind of self-licking ice cream cone, right? You say that government doesn't work, so I'm going to cut government. And then, uh, oh, lo look at that. Government is even worse. Now I'm going to cut it even more. And uh, yeah, it, it's totally a lot of these, to the extent that there are issues in uh, government services in the VA, a lot of it is really just manufactured by underfunding and, and by lack of support for e these agencies. And, and so, you sabotage. know, yeah, sabotage. And so in that context, Context. I mean, what do you make of uh, the rights overture to overtures to veterans as they are doing all of these things to destroy services that they rely on, to destroy their ability to have a good job after after their service? Uh, you know, uh, while they're doing all of that, these politicians are going around as if. They are the ones that that care about veterans, and everybody who's not a Republican hates veterans. No, absolutely. It's a it's a huge hypocrisy. I mean, it, it, hypocrisy is an understatement. These people send vet, send young men and women into unnecessary wars that give them the healthcare problems and economic problems and so forth that um, you know that that make them dependent on the Department of Veterans Affairs. And then they cut the Department of Veterans Affairs so that they aren't helped. And, you know, in many, I mean, it's really fascinating if you go back to, for example, 2014, where Bernie Sanders introduced a really sweeping and comprehensive bill to uh, improve the Department of Veterans Affairs that was supported by um, all the major veteran service organizations. Um, that that bill was opposed and killed. It wasn't even brought to a vote by John McCain and Republicans. And they got up right. on the floor of the Senate and had the temerity to make the argument that our veterans would not want to pass this bill to help them because it would cost so much money and it would hurt people in the future. I mean, the, right. these people have no shame, you know. Mm. Um, and, you know, tragically, they, they you know, even this, you know, we see in this debt, debt ceiling discussion, we're going to exempt the military from cuts. Really? 
you know, and and their support of these huge military budget deprives veteran families of the ability to fund education, their kids' education, to get good housing, to get out of debt. And also, you know, their opposition to national health care and to free education or loans to people so that they're not saddled with debt for the rest of their lives. It just, you know, creates poverty and impoverishment in the communities from which military service members are recruited. And most people enter the military today. The vast majority of people who go to enter the our all volunteer army mm-hmm. do so because there's an, a, an economic draft. It, right. And even the military understands that if they didn't offer free education and health care, nobody would join up because there's a very limited amount of people who want to spend, you know, their teenage, late teenage and early 20s years, you know, fighting the bad guys. Um, And so it's really, but, you know, tragically, tragically, I'm 77 and I've lived long enough. People are very divided. And they often don't connect the dots and they're swayed by emotion. And so these right-wing politicians, you know, appeal to veterans for a lot of the wrong reasons. And, you know, the military doesn't teach people to be critical thinkers. The military deliberately breaks you down and builds you back up. So you'll do what? Kill other people, which you're not supposed to do, and obey orders and think in black and white terms. And so it's not surprising that a lot of veterans are bamboozled by these folks who, you know, make all kinds of promises and really ignore their real needs and often not just ignore their real needs, but destroy their communities. Mm. And I mean, and I think that we can, you know, one of the things that we can point to is that, uh, you know, maybe uh, to a certain extent, it's not even necessarily that they're being bamboozled, but that the opposition uh, for their issues are are not much better. You know, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of these corporate Democrats are going along with with some of these uh, privatization things uh, of the VA and the destruction of the VA. And so in a lot of cases, really, the... uh, (laughs) the opposition to some of these to some of these proposals is not that much different and so uh, as much as it's a critique of the republicans it's also a, an encouragement to the democrats to say uh you know it's you actually have to put forward a positive vision for how you can uh you know protect veterans and enable them to survive and thrive uh, post service Absolutely. I mean, the Biden administration is a perfect example of this. The Biden Biden's VA secretary, Dennis McDonough, has done absolutely nothing to um, reverse Trump era policies that have helped to decimate the Department of Veterans Affairs. Absolutely. Almost nothing. And um, he has uh, continued with Trump era outsourcing of uh, veterans health care and really accelerated it, I would argue. Um, he has done nothing to redo we at the Veterans Benefits Administration talk about labor issues. One of the things we mentioned in our report, uh, disadvantaging the VA, how VA staff view agency privatization and other detrimental policies. Um, the, the Trump initiated the outsourcing of very critical 
uh, exams, which are used to prove whether vets have a service-related uh, health condition. He outsourced them from knowledgeable VHA, Veterans Health Administration clinicians, to private sector contracts over which there's very little oversight. And he has also um, continued. Uh, so now 90% of comp and pen exams are done by the private sector. And Biden administration has done nothing to stem this problem. Um, the administration uh, has imposed um, or continued punishing productivity standards on claims processors, processors who work um, in the Veterans Benefits Administration. So they can't really, you know, veterans don't, most veterans don't just have one health-related problem for which they make a claim for compensation. They have many. And you need a lot of time to talk to them and explain things to them. And they limit, you know, the talk time that these people have with veterans. And it, they're punishing productivity standards. And the Biden administration has been done nothing to reverse those. Biden, you know, really, in my view, illustrates this problem of the consensus, uh, the anti-government consensus really among many corporate Democrats who are you know, bought and paid for by big pharma. I mean, somebody like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, you know, she's like bought and paid for by, big, by the hospital industry. So she has no interest in real oversight or adding enough appropriations or fighting off the closures of VA facilities because, you know, the people that pay her to be elected are want veterans, you know, they want veterans as patients, even though they, they, they don't have the hospital beds or the staff to accommodate those veterans. Um, I mean, one of the great ironies of this whole issue of outsourcing is that our healthcare system is broken. We can't even, private sector, healthcare sector, can't even um, take care of the patients like me that are, you know, have private insurance or lucky enough to have private insurance. Right. We have a primary care crisis, a, a mental health crisis. Most of America is primary care and mental health desert. There is no place for these veterans to go outside the VA. But the Republicans don't care about that. They don't mm -hmm. really care about that. And a lot of the Democrats don't do their homework. And, you know, many staffers on Capitol Hill, tragically, know very little about the VA and what they know they get from the news. And, and you know, the corporate news, the New York Times and Fox News are not that far apart in their coverage of VA issues and veterans issues. Suzanne Gordon is author of the recent piece in Jacobin, Corporate Politicians Are Privatizing the VA, the Crown Jewel of Socialized Medicine. She's also the author of Our Veterans, Winners, Losers, Friends, and Enemies on the New Terrain of Veterans Affairs and is the Senior Policy Analyst at the Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute. Suzanne, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And yeah, yeah. we'll have you back on to talk about the book. Thank you. Take care. Appreciate Bye. it. All right, folks, as we are wrapping up, uh, we don't have enough time to dive into this uh, uh, this stuff about the school support staff minimum wage. So I'll just tease that uh, saying that we're going to talk we're going to dive into that in overtime and listen to some clips from the radio uh, because it is wild, wild. There are people <laughs> there are actual real life people in Alabama that are arguing against 
uh, janitors in our schools making $30,000 a year. Uh, it's just absolutely insane stuff. So we're going to talk about that in overtime. That is the second half of the show uh, where we are online only. So if you're listening to us on the radio, then you should find us on Facebook and YouTube where you can continue listening to the show for another hour and a half on your Saturday morning. So uh, the last story that we'll hit here is um, this Three Brothers coffee shop story in Nashville, Tennessee. Workers at Three Brothers Coffee Shop unionized last year with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, UFCW, local 1995. And they, like so many other workers who unionize, who successfully win a union election, have faced obstinate management, bad faith bargaining when they get bargaining at all, and they still don't have a contract more than a year later. So they escalated their campaign last week, and Eric of Tennessee, a freelance journalist up in Tennessee and video maker, had a great video that he put out on Twitter of them explaining what they're up to. So Adam, let's roll that clip. are enacting our slowdown for slowdown. We've been engaged in negotiations for a, a contract um, for almost a year now. We voted the union in April 2022. Um, and the negotiations have been long, tedious, and they're to the point that they're constantly canceling meetings, showing up late, leaving early and refusing to negotiate, um, definitely not bargaining in good faith. So the action we're taking is basically, um, we're all working together and sort of just taking our time, letting every customer know their tickets are gonna take 16 minutes. We're hoping for $16 an hour plus guaranteed tips. They came back after tedious refusal to negotiate and told us they would offer $9 an hour. Davidson County thriving wage as of last year was $32 an hour. That's just in order to live in the county we work in. So we're asking for about half that, and we're told that was actually So what we're hoping to do today is get people uh, communicating that they want us to be treated better, that they love this shop, they appreciate our work. And so they're sort of letting TJ know through reviews on Google, um, saying uh, our demands, our reasonable demands should be met, which is $16 an hour plus guaranteed tips and reasonable intervals of meetings. So there we go. Uh, Imminently reasonable demands. They're saying uh, to live in Nashville, they need $16 an hour. And we want you to meet with us to bargain uh, once every week or two. (laughs) I mean, just crazy reasonable stuff here, um, as workers always are. Uh, And and so last week, they began handing out cards to customers, uh, explaining this to them, saying that, you know, your order is going to take 16 minutes because we're protesting uh, the lack of negotiations and the uh, lack of support for our proposal in those negotiations. And, you know, really an offer of $9 an hour is just so insulting. She mentioned that the thriving wage in the county that Nashville resides in is $32 an hour. That's a calculation that is above the MIT's living wage calculator uh, that uh, because... 
that calculation of the living wage only accounts for necessities, right? And so the thriving wage calculator is meant to show what it would take to, yes, meet necessities, but also have some disposable income because we don't deserve just bread, but roses as well, right? Um, but no doubt $32 an hour would be a lot for a coffee shop, especially in a first contract. And so they have instead asked for $16 an hour. And I think, especially in a city like Nashville, that is the least the company can do. And so, in addition to her note about what a thriving wage would be, I took a look at some cost statistics for Nashville last night. And listen to this, folks. A new report last month showed that Nashville was among the 25 most expensive cities for renters, not in the state of Tennessee, in the country. In the country. They found that Nashville was the 22nd most expensive city for renters in the country. Crazy stuff. A one-bedroom apartment averaged, and remember, this means uh, average is the middle. That means that half of one-bedroom apartments in Nashville cost more than this. A one-bedroom apartment in Nashville is $1,730 a month. Average. God forbid you have a child and need two bedrooms or hell, you know, maybe you just want to have a little bit more space because that's going to cost you $1,820 a month. Um, another outlet found that they think the average rent in a one bedroom apart- uh, apartment on the market in May was actually over $2,000 a month. And so, you know, look, folks, whatever you think about baristas, They have to be able to live in the city that they are serving you your overpriced coffee. And so they need to be paid enough to live there. And uh, $16 an hour is really the bare minimum that the coffee shop can do. So we're wishing them the best in their contract campaign, and here's hoping that management gets the message. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, sending our love and solidarity to Nashville. Uh, Definitely appreciate their tactics here. A slowdown for a slowdown. I love that. That's very creative and and very... uh, timely yep coffee workers of the south united is where you can find them on twitter they are members of ufcw local 1995 uh and so with that folks we're gonna go ahead and uh get ready to head into overtime this is just a reminder that we also air on unclaimed mysteries radio which is a huntsville-based internet radio station uh they play 1970s fm underground radio style music eclectic local and regional music experimental sounds uh they've got arts culture politics audio theater comedy uh all sorts of stuff you can listen to them on live 365.com uh all you got to do is search unclaimed mysteries radio As we're wrapping up here on the radio, uh, here are a couple of reminders and some events to share. As they do each month, our friends at Labor Notes are hosting a series of online trainings. This month, they have their uh, series of a successful organizer training during the month of June. This is highly recommend that that if you are considering organizing your workplace or if you have, if you're in a union and want to uh, kind of jumpstart your efforts or get some ideas about uh, how to contribute to your union in as they try to organize. Really, really good training. They yeah, always absolutely. Have good stuff. I mean, even stuff like how to have a one-on-one conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it, frankly, is relevant if you're wanting to be an activist and organizer in politics or in the community or other arenas besides just the workplace. Uh, a lot of the skills translate. So, yeah, highly recommend that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you can find out more information on labornotes.org. 
Alabama Forward is presenting the Democracy Now or Never Festival on Saturday, June 3rd. That is next week at the Riverfront Amphitheater uh, in Montgomery. As our democracy is attacked and weakened by political forces in every direction, it's imperative that we work together to fight for our rights. But whether in the halls of the state house or our own house, democracy is always a constant struggle. Are you ready for the fight? Join for an opening pep rally at 4 p.m. to hear more about the fight for democracy here in Alabama, and then stay for the festival, a free, fun, family-friendly event full of vendors, music, art, food, and inspiration. On June the 1st at 6 p.m. is the Fight to Save Public Education Lessons from the Field with Chicago teachers and community members who won big in recent elections, as well as Tennessee organizers on the front lines fighting privatization and censorship. Join the Alliance to reclaim our schools, local progress, NEA, AFT, and HEAL together for this online event. Uh, don't forget our new weekly series called Shop Talk, which airs online on Thursday mornings. Shop Talk is dedicated to labor education, history, and training. You can check out the live stream Thursday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Central Time or on the podcast on Monday mornings. Uh, get on our email list, tvlr.fm, to get our work sent to you. You can leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR. We're going to be heading, in, heading into overtime where we're talking to Will Attig about uh, veterans' issues some more in uh, honor of Memorial Day and the Catholic Labor Network. Stay tuned, folks. All power to the workers. 